Today's vulnerable episode is with writer and activist Eve Rodsky. She's a best-selling author of Fair Play and Find Your Unicorn Space. She's also a Harvard-trained expert in organizational management, and she obviously runs workshops around these concepts about navigating domestic labor, invisible work, as she calls it. We unpack a lot of this today, and I gotta say, keep an open mind. It's, it's a really wonderful philosophy that I fully back, and Eve is a wonderful lady, and the books that she has written have helped many, many people. So keep an open mind, even if you're a guy. And if your wife sent you this, I'm really glad she did. Let's all uh, let's all listen to today's vulnerable episode. I'm Christy Carlson Romano, and this is the Vulnerable Podcast. I cannot tell you, Eve, how honestly excited and touched and just so happy to talk to you. I am. I I feel like my entire <laughs> journey with feminism has led me to this moment. I live in Texas. I have two daughters. You know, I have this millennial side of me that was extremely invested in girl power. I went to Barnard. Mm. I, like you said, I'm the voice of Kim Possible. I'm Belle. I'm like all of these icons. And I have these two daughters and I live here and everything's happening. So without delving too deep into that, what I just want to start with saying is thank you. I don't know if anyone could possibly thank you enough for what you've done, the conversation that you have started with your concepts, the game, the card game, the philosophy behind it. What what people need to know is that fair play is is canon. In the future, it will be considered mm-hmm. canon for feminists. <laughs> Legitimately, like there's lean in, sure. There's you know there's doubt. There's all of these things, but then there's fair play, which you know really applies feminism in a useful way in a useful dialogue. It's intersectional. It's inclusive. There's so many things about the book that struck me. And let me tell you, I didn't even fully apply it yet, which is really what I want to get into with you. And then, of course, everything else there is to unpack. But the principle alone gave me hope. Keeping the book, I've read it, obviously, but but keeping the book near Mm -hmm. me, close to me, as like almost my Bible... (laughs) Like, listen, the very mention of fair play keeps my husband listening actively. (laughs) We love you. I've been able to get him. (laughs) So thank you. That's what I'm going to start off with that. So welcome to Vulnerable. (laughs) Well, first of all, I got to listen. I went down a rabbit hole of listening to you. And thank you for your vulnerability. That is feminism. I think Mm. that we have really done women, as you know, a disservice because we are now in a place where we do two thirds or more of all the childcare and housework, even if we're, and Mm -hmm. we do more, we do more if we bring home more money than our partners, assuming we're in a hetero cisgender relationship. We are in a place where we're doing twice the amount of housework and childcare as women did in the 1950s and 60s. And we've lost control of our time. 
And that's really what the fair play movement is about. And that's why, yes, hold it close to you. Even if you haven't implemented the system part yet, what you're unlearning, Mm -hmm. the reason why it's resonating is because really fair play is a movement to cure time poverty for women. And to cure time poverty for women, we're not going to be doing what we did the past 10 years, which is gaslight them to think that they could just wake up an hour earlier and somehow be all refreshed for the day and squeeze you need every self-care, hour out of the day wake that up, they have. Wake up self-care, the day before. Right? Just wake up yeah. at 2 a.m. Yeah. yeah, wake up at 2 a.m., Christy. You can work out, do your math. make sure you do your makeup. Just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, do your makeup. And you'll basically just die early from lack of sleep. But anyway, yeah. so the yep. point is, those messages have all collided. And I think now the pandemic, the one silver lining is that it's shown us that all these messages are basically garbage. And really the only thing that um, we need to fight for now is our time because, it, and we'll talk about and unpack that, but, but the more women have time choice over how they use their day, the more that they have energy to fight these fights that we're going to have to fight over the next uh, 50 years. And the thing about the fight too, and the time, women are very emotional beings, but they're also <laughs> extremely rational and- With everything we have to process from a day to day on top of that, like you you call it emotional work, but also the physical labor, the emotional availability is physical in and of itself, in my opinion, with having to focus on your children's needs when they're both coming at you and you're out, you're you're touched out and all that stuff. But even... Just in generally, like generally speaking, there's a, there's, the, I can't, I can't even begin to talk about the workload without being triggered. You see what I'm saying? Yes. That free time, if you want to call it that, is actually a time to process and formulate opinions. And like you said, like when you're robbed of that, you're robbed of the ability to form those opinions. And I see a lot of stay at home moms. I know some stay at home moms who are really erring on and clinging to their religious and conservative beliefs because it's convenient and it's easier and they don't have to form an opinion if they're super busy. And the dynamic is such that, you know, the man is making the money and as long as he respects me and doesn't cheat, I just have to fall in line and work my ass off and still exist in that time poverty, like lifestyle. But, you know, that doesn't make for a healthy marriage and it certainly doesn't make for a good skincare like routine. right, exactly. <laughs> so puffy, please, puffy bags. I know. Do you want an eye cream or do you want to end the the, the patriarchal domination of women's time? You know, <laughs> I love that. Where do we start? Please tell me. Like, do we start with you, you icon, you woman, you goddess? I'm sorry, I have to. Well, thank you. I love I, you. Yes. Well, I think. Look, <laughs> l- let's start with the fact that Christy. You know, this is. I'll, I'll start with a couple stories to to explain who I am, I'll tell your listeners, right? I didn't set out to be an expert on the gender division of labor. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't what was on my third grade, what do you want to be when you grow up board? I think that board said astronaut, right, Christy? And so (laughs) I'm not like you who sort of had this beautiful, gorgeous voice and talent early. And so you were already on a path. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I heard my whole life, you know, you will escape a single parent household. This was the, the, the Gen X mentality. Put your head down. Women are the same as men. Don't complain. Education will get you out. And so from a single parent household with a disabled brother, I found myself at Harvard Law School 
um, which was a great place for me because it was a place of advocacy and using your voice. And I remember being there and I was with, I remember being an Elizabeth Warren. She had like an orientation and they definitely didn't ask me what I wanted to be when, when I, I grew up then either. But Mm -hmm. I think if they had, then I would have said I was 100% Christy going to be president, senator and Nick City dancer all at the same time. Like there was literally nothing stopping me. Oh, I love that. Nothing was stopping me at 21. I was going to love that. Is issue my executive orders during the day, you know, at night and then uh-huh. get up to legislate during the day and then mm-hmm. I was going to fly Air Force 1 in, you know, to perform on the iconic Madison Square Garden stage on Saturdays <laughs> and then I would just change for state dinners on the way back. Like th- the reason why I tell you that is because I think so many of us especially around 21 to 24, you know, we really do feel like we can conquer the world. And that's before the death, you know, by a thousand cuts of feminism, ageism, you know, body criticism, all the things that uh, end up sort of harassment. There's an awakening for sure, right, Eve? For for feminism. I mean, I think I think I got it because I went to Barnard and I was literally seeking it out. I didn't have that awakening until we watched a really serious documentary about the... It's the Puerto Rican Day Parade. The Puerto Rican Day Parade. Yes, yes, At the yes. Puerto Rican Day Parade in the 90s or something, they did this documentary about these women and all this found footage of how they were being essayed in public. It's this extremely important documentary. And I watched it, but I... I came back to school to Barnard and studied women's leadership as a minor when I was 26. And I didn't even graduate. It took me like 12 years to graduate from Barnard. It was always a place for me mm-hmm. to fail upwards, like in a, in my life, you know, because at, at some colleges, especially in the Ivy Leagues, they allow you to leave for professional leave. And so I was bouncing back and forth. And when I finally went back- I'm so and proud was like, of you, by the way. Yeah, that's amazing <laughs> that you did this. I mean, I don't think people realize how hard that is when you have, you know, d- school predicates itself on being distraction free. And so the ultimate distraction is working for pay. So yeah. that's pretty amazing that you graduated from Barnard. Oh, thank you. Well, I removed I removed myself from it a couple times and, and removed myself from the workforce to be able to dedicate it. But it was also a safety net for me. And Barnard was a community that was obviously a women's college. And so this essentially watching this documentary, being in this class gave me this awakening. But I had already experienced me too things. And like, I was 26, you know what I'm saying? But for me, I had a very delayed millennial awakening that I had to seek out. And now I look at women now, and especially Gen Z, where it is at their front door, and the awakening is happening just by being alive. So yeah, I'm, I'm imagining that that awakening for you as well, upon being, you know, at school for you was was bound to happen sooner. <laughs> later. Well, that's it. I mean, right. You cut to, you know, 13 years later, Christy. And, you know, I really thought I was going to be smashing all these glass ceilings. And really the only thing I was really smashing was peas, you know, for my toddler, Zach, you know, while breastfeeding a baby, Ben, and I I was not president or senator um, or Nick City dancer, but I did actually really like my job. I was a lawyer using my sort of interesting skill sets around organizational management and family systems to work with families at a big company. 
all of mm-hmm. their philanthropy, helping them, giving their money away. So it was a really cool job. But that is when cool. I was on Were that you already leave. Yeah. Okay. Got I it. was, and that, that was, that was Ben and Zach. Zach was a toddler. Mm-hmm. Ben was, was a newborn. But what I remember so distinctly was the contrast between all of those dreams and sitting there isolated and alone with a second baby and a toddler and thinking that my company was going to support me. And mm-hmm. then learning on maternity leave that I had lost all my direct reports. Mm-hmm learning on maternity leave that all of my work was being sort of marked up and criticized. And I'm like, this makes no sense because, you know, I, I'm a great, I'm a good writer. That's one right. thing I am. Right. Um, and so I'm getting all these red lines back and I was like, what is happening here? Are they trying to get me to be demoralized and quit and to, to accept the fact that I don't deserve direct reports. Mm, and then the, okay. the straw that broke the camel's back was that um, there was no lactation space that I would be having to pump mm in a broom closet. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Mm-hmm. And that and that was, I think, that awakening that my my job, that this place that I really enjoyed and thought they cared mm-hmm. about me didn't care about me, mm-hmm. happened around the same time that my marriage was, was falling apart mm. over the lack of domestic help wow. in the home. Okay. And that's what I talked about. That's important. About, you know? Yeah. That's very, that was very it. important. That's, that's how I opened fair play that I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries text <laughs> where my husband really had started to define me as his fulfiller of his smoothie needs. And, and that was, that was where we were. So I had no yeah. help at, at work. I had no help at home. It right. was the most isolating time in my life. Mm-hmm. And you can decide either to resign yourself and do it all and live like that. You right. could divorce and get, as my friend said, court-ordered custody as a solution. But for me, I felt like there had to be another way. Yeah, court-ordered custody doesn't seem like a great alternative to, to <laughs> child care like, decisions. I heard right? it all the time, Christy. I heard it all the time. If you, I don't know what you're complaining about, Eve. If you want to change your circumstances, it just takes three words, court-ordered custody. Jesus Christ. I can't even. All right. So, you know, a lot of women you see, and there's a couple, there's a couple wrongs of influence that fair play has really blown in 
to the the social media space, and I'm not sure you if you know or not, but on TikTok, there are many accounts dedicated to the principles of fair play. I can send you them. Uh, and I'm please, always- Please, please do, because I'm, I'm not a TikTok connoisseur, you, so I they never use, really know what's happening. Okay, you should, you should, you should absolutely know the folks that, that adore you because maybe there's ways of, I mean, there's several, there's yes, several. And yes, it's yes. also go, outside of talking about the fair play and the domestic labor division and sharing, they're talking about that isolating feeling that you're talking about a lot. It's called Moms of TikTok. It's a hashtag. And when you just basically- Oh, amazing. Okay. I know Laura, Laura you. Danger, but other than mm-hmm. that, and Casey Davis, but shout out to both of you. You're amazing women. Thank you for being fair play cultural warriors. But yes, I'm going to- For real. I will search the Moms of TikTok hashtag. Yeah, yes. of course. Of course. I will hook it up. If you need a social media feminist thank you, manager, thank I will you, thank, you, thank you. Thank you. So, so yeah, so that your message is, is being sung to a lot of women and getting into their minds and hearts because they need that and they're isolated. And what TikTok is allowing them to do is find each other and talk to each other. And their comment section is filled with support every single time. I always try to be uh, that person as well. But we, we come together in a lot of ways. We grieve together. You know, that's why I think TikTok is being called into question in some ways is because it's serving as a as a way to aggregate like minds and people. Hey, on any Mm. end of whatever world they are, people are coming together and they are using this app. But with moms of TikTok, they're using it as a support system. They don't have the village that they used to have. I, I guess there's that whole topic of, you know what I mean, where, well, if we have a village so-and-so can raise so-and-so and you can go to, I I don't really understand. It's very broad, that whole concept <laughs> of the village. Well, and you I never know. had a it village either. In America. So it doesn't exist it ever... in America. It just doesn't. No, 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 not here. We're not a country yeah. of a village, Christy. We are an individual. <laughs> We're a country that do- lives and dies on individualism. So you're right. That village never existed here. Never. All right. Well, then moving on. I think we always, especially as Americans, like we hold on to this ideal and I think more and more we're all realizing that that never really existed. <laughs> no, and I think there's a real problem because the ideal of this village, right, it's the opposite. We're, we're ashamed for a village. Um, I remember 10 years ago, and then when I started to interview people for, we have a documentary coming out, which is so yes. exciting. Yes. And what's so great about it is we were able to follow, we interviewed 100 actually 105 couples during the pandemic. Jennifer Newsom, our director, narrowed it down. But what you see is you see different family structures. And the one thing, Christy, that I think you'll see the most, because COVID especially took it away, is Mm -hmm. we see people at their most raw because they're literally, the illusion of the village is is dead. Mm -hmm. Because even if you had ancillary help and grandparents, they were gone. And so we all now know what it feels like to to live without a village. And Mm -hmm. I think we know how isolating and dark that can be. So again, hopefully we will resurrect this concept of what I like to call care feminism. Because care feminism does connote that we, it's a mutual aid idea, which is, you know, Self-help is, I help myself, it's back to that individualism. But really, Fair Play as a book is rooted in mutual aid, which is that Mm -hmm. you get other people to come in as partners to hold cards for you. And and it can be your partner, it can be, if you're a single mother, your kids, it could be your extended community. But the assumption in Fair Play is that 
you will not hold all the cards, which is the metaphor. There's a hundred cards. They represent all childcare, domestic work. You do not hold all of them regardless of what your family structure is. If you're a single parent, you do not, you, you, you can't hold all of them. The state has to help you. We have to fight for you. Mm -hmm. If you are in a relationship and you're a stay at home mom, still, it's not going to be 50, 50, but you are not obliged to hold all of the cards. This is more than a full-time job and we have to get a village in place to share the unpaid labor of society. That's, that's the key. Right. And then there's also cards for unicorn space, right? <laughs> Which yes, we should talk yes. about because that's another book that you have as well. My favorite card yeah. ever comes from this idea that there is, we think of laundry. I think when I ask people about domestic work, the first things they think of are dishes and laundry. But as mm-hmm. you will start to see about life and humanity is that our memories, the things that we, uh, the emotional labor, Christy, you were talking about before, that's in cards. Uh, I'm just looking at some like gestures of love, you know, who's bringing the flowers to the recital. That's a card cards like, uh, mental health for kids. Mm -hmm. You know, these are not laundry and housework. These are things that take a lot of stressful, emotional and cognitive, what I call cognitive labor. Mm -hmm. Um, sure you can make kids lunches. That's what we're thinking about. But what you were saying is, you know, things like, the tooth fairy. And Mm -hmm. my favorite card of all is unicorn space, which is Mm -hmm. we forget about that card. We, we, we say to ourselves, we are parents, we are partners, we're professionals by professionals. I mean, anybody who works for pay or who works unpaid in the home. Mm -hmm. And that's it, Christy. Mm -hmm. We do it on repeat, Mm -hmm. but where is our humanity? Where is the time for Christy outside Mm -hmm. of her her paid work? Where's our time for Christy outside of her role as a mother? Where is Christy? Where is her creativity that's just done for creativity's sake and not for money? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where is Christy? And that space that you deserve because you are in a creative profession. So it's going to be even harder for you to claim more space because a lot of what you do for and I will say this podcast is a unicorn space. I mean, whether or not it's for pay. Vulnerable you is. Get yeah. To be here. Vulnerable yes. Is. I think to me, vulnerable feels like a unicorn space because what it is, Thank it's you. a space where you get curiosity, connection, <laughs> and completion. <laughs> mm-hmm. But that's how Absolutely. I feel about it. When I was listening that's to great. it this week, it's so, so that's it. So I would say continue this podcast, regardless of whether it's for pay or not, you get a billion dollars for it or nothing. It is important. It's that type of space that you are inspiring curiosity, connection, and completion. Women need it, and we deserve a permission to be unavailable. So I will say if any card you hold, if you're not going to adopt the fair play system, that's fine. If you just listen and take away one thing from today, it's that the antidote to burnout for your listeners, unfortunately, is not going to be a walk around the block or a drink with a friend, mm-hmm. even though those are important. The antidote yeah. to burnout is being consistently interested in your own life. And that's what we're going to give people today. So you grew up in a single parent household. May I ask, was it your father or your mother? My mother, a single mother, yes. Okay. And then when you went into your marriage and you had your children and then your law firm failed you. Did you have sort of an awakening of yourself? Obviously you did, which brought you to the book, but what did you take from your upbringing into 
that relationship to sort of that that awakening that you had where you were like, this isn't going to cut it. And this is the death of what we have here. This dynamic is toxic. I mean, did you? I'm just trying to like project that like if you saw your yeah. mom do it on her own and then you sort of then were tasked with like, I got to think like that was probably there was a lot of guilt insofar that you had a partner to do this with at first because so much of you is like, well, I should be grateful. I should be grateful. Like, for example, in my case, I have a nanny and she currently lives with us. You know, she has a contract and and we're very blessed to have that. But we also work a very, very hard in order to afford that nanny for it to make sense for us. And it becomes a part of the system for me and my husband to work as producing partners, et cetera, et cetera. So I always am constantly feeling sh- like shame and I should be grateful and I should do more than I can physically do it, you know? I think there's a lot to unpack there. The first thing I'll say, and then I want to go back to exactly how our, our upbringing does and how all of our upbringings will condition us to exactly just feel grateful mm-hmm. to have a husband that you see once in a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, that's more than that person, right? That That's sort of where we are at this point. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing I want to point out is the beauty and power of domestic workers. And for so long, yes, women have talked about getting up earlier or, or hid the fact that we have help back to this idea that we're not allowed to have a village. Now, the problem has been though, not only just hiding the fact that we have help, but the fact that that has been the only solution. So during the lean in feminism years, and I know that because in 2011 is when I start to interview for this book. It's been a really long journey of now 11 years and wow. thousands and thousands of in 17 countries and more. And that's why it's canon, man. Well, thank you. Because these last 11 years have been insane. It has been 11 years. And <laughs> we went from the lean-in era to where we are now. But I will say never trust mm-hmm. a self-help book or a mutual aid book, as I was calling it, without a bibliography. Mm-hmm. It's very you important. You look to the back first and make sure there's a bibliography in any book you're reading. You want to make sure it's well-researched. It's not just the person's espousings, mm-hmm. if you care about- And you even have a glossary, damn it. Yes, a glossary, a glossary. But I think really the point about domestic labor that I think is really important as you move to care feminism is that women heard a message, if you're so overwhelmed, just get help. Correct. That is what men say. I will give you as much help as you need. If you're so overwhelmed, get help. The problem is that it takes men out of the equation. And what it's doing is it's saying, I'm going to build my career on the backs of the undervalued labor of black and brown women. So that is not okay. What we have to say instead is we have help. Domestic laborers, domestic workers are valuable. They are part of our family and our system, but Uh that is not enough to handle the emotional labor. If you are married to a man, what you'll see in the fair play system is there's a hundred cards. 50 of those cards are not outsourceable. As much as you love Alexia, she's not deciding whether your child's adenoids are being taken out. Absolutely. She's not going to be your tooth fairy. Absolutely. She is not the one who's showing up at Olympics Day. I mean, sure, sometimes. Right. But the point is we've had such a non-nuanced conversation about domestic work as if it's A, invisible, and B, the only solution. And the truth is, it's a both and. We need help. Mm -hmm. We should pay for it. We we need subsidies 
to do that. We can't do it Absolutely. all alone. We need our government to help us. And on top great. of that, <laughs> you know, we childcare is very expensive as we know, and we cannot keep it that way. So anyway, that's sorry for that rant, but I do think that it helps us get where we are, where we need to be. Absolutely, because these conversations need to be had. And what I love about the documentary, even just watching the trailer, it invites men into the conversation. It, it There was something that was said in the trailer about how this is the opposite of what, what feminism is to women. This is to men. Can you unpack yes, that for me? Yes, it's to men. Well, yes. So this gets back to what you were saying about, about what happens to women, because you were asking about my childhood. So when... As a kid, I saw one woman do it all, right? And and right. she did it poorly. <laughs> I love you, mom, but it wasn't she it was not best. easy, right? <laughs> yes, right. She right. did her best. And so instead of understanding, well, my father should have, you know, actually done his part or not, you know, ghosted us, mm-hmm. it became me blaming her and to picking up her slack. So mm-hmm. I was her chief bill officer, um, her chief financial officer at starting at seven. I I called Stive is in town and had them know that my mother's check was coming because I didn't want the eviction notices to come under the door. I sort of became, it started, I remember, I distinctly remember the first eviction notice. It was second grade. So, because I remember Miss Bendahan's class in PS40. And you understood the implications in second grade. You understood the implications of being evicted from your home. Okay. A hundred percent. Not even, not even a question. Okay. And that's the thing. If you watch that 90s show on Netflix, it's called like, am I old enough or something? Uh-huh. It's like two-year-olds shopping for groceries. Yes, like yes. we know our kids need to be involved in fair play early. Okay. And that means understanding the value of these cards, the metaphor, you know, not just doing the, the chores and the housework, but really understanding the humanity and what we do for them. But yes, it, because we understand it and we can okay. do it and they can be involved but being part of that single parent dynamic mm-hmm. where I didn't see men doing childcare and housework, I had no role model for it, Christy, sure. right? So sure. it made me feel like women can do it all and have it all and be it all. That horrible lie, which ultimately was dismantled for me in mm-hmm. this Blueberries breakdown, you know, we're seeing seeing myself in a relationship that I vowed from an early age, I would have equal partner Christy because I saw how hard it was for my mother. And I, I did have that equal partner. We were killing it in life. You know, Hmm. he was making dinner. I was doing laundry. Everything was so fair until our kids came along where we then started to revert back to horrific assumptions and instead of, you know, decision-making, and that was that was how my story was going to end. But what the hell is that, Eve? Like, why is that so common that, you know, women who are, you know, smart and they know what they're doing and, you know, even the men are a part of that and they're like cohabitating and, and, and then it's like we have the kids and then it's just, like you said, reverting. And then I even have these conversations where I have to teach that out of my husband. And I, by the way, am privileged because... We are producing partners, which means that he is representing me in my interests and directly benefits from me succeeding. Do you see what I'm saying? So he has to forego any notion of my value and undervaluing me. His job, a part of his job, he has other investments and other things he's doing, but uh, (laughs) the, the time that he chooses to work with me, right, he has to overvalue me his entire identification with me person in the conversation. So I'm extremely privileged in this 
you know, this dynamic. And even still, there's the reverting at times where he's like, well, you know, we're in the, we're, <laughs> we're in the grocery store. And he's like, well, you push the cart because you're the woman. And I'm like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. You take this yes, cart because it's tell full me what and it's heavy. Want. And I don't feel like pushing it. <laughs> It's, it's I get it. By the way, that's a great metaphor. That is a great <laughs> yeah. metaphor. And yeah. and we we know that just because you know, again, you work together, or you you're an equal breadwinner, it does not change our dynamics uh, around around who gender does really the majority of yeah. So so what we realize now, I think, and what was it was sort of my Kaiser Soze moment, Christy, where. I don't know if you remember usual suspects, but you see like sort of the wall and you're like, oh my God, all those pieces come together. We know who, who he is. Um, for me, it was the moment where I realized that the home is so dangerous because Mm -hmm. we think we're fighting over off season blueberries, as I was saying before, or who's, who left the sponge in the sink or whose turn it is to wake up with a crying baby. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the presenting problem is not the real problem. And the real problem is that men don't don't value women's time the same as their own. And I'm not saying that to individual men. There are great individual men. But as a society, we've taught women to view their time as if it's sand, as if it's infinite. And we've told women We do live guard past. We do outlive time. most of them. Yes, we, we do. We do. <laughs> and we now know that women who are in unhappy marriages actually live less long than, than women mm. who are... Who are single. So okay. uh, just FYI, okay. but men's time is diamonds. It's finite. Women's time is infinite. It's sand. And the problem is it, it we're conditioned from birth. So that's why you're asking why it's still happening. Even if we, if, if Seth and I came in believing it was not going to happen that way as domestic work, it's harder because it becomes a lot. It becomes hours and hours and hours and hours and hours a week more with kids. What mm-hmm. happens is we start to guard men's time. Oh my God, you know, he needs to rest. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm better at, at doing multiple things. He's better at focusing on one task at a time. I'm centering right. the heteronormative here because that's where the problems come. Okay. And so the hardest part is since birth, since birth, we've been told our time is worthless. We hear things like breastfeeding is free. Um, when it's 1800 hours a year, it's a full-time job. We, we see women entering male professions and salaries automatically coming down. So we we're told time is worthless or worth less for women. Yeah. And yeah. then Christy, this is what happens. What happened to me, you're asking why it changed because I internalized the four messages, what I call toxic time messages that I'm asking women to throw and burn. And those four were, I said to myself, my husband makes more money than me, so I should do more domestic work. My job mm-hmm. is more flexible, so I should do more domestic work. In the time it takes me to tell him, her, they, what to do, I should do it myself. And then the fourth, which was the hardest, was I'm a better multitasker. I am wired differently to see that we're out of diapers, that mm-hmm. you know we're, we're low on formula. Mm-hmm. And, and that those are all wrong. They are not true. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever said one of those things to yourself, you're not alone. But what I'm here to tell you is that there's no gender difference in, in how we multitask. It is absolutely wrong to say in the time it takes me to tell him, her, they, what to do, I should do it myself. 
because that Mm -hmm. devalues all your future time. That's a simple economics present value argument. What we have to do is recognize that time is 24 hours in a day. And regardless, regardless of your family structure, you as a woman deserves to treat her time as diamonds. You deserve a permission to be unavailable from your roles. Availability is not part of your identity. And the only way to do that is not just through hiring help, as we just said, right. it's to invite men into, into unpaid labor. That is the only way that we are going to move forward as feminists. And, and it is something that's come to me now after 10 years. I can't, if you care about what's happening with abortion, if you care about what's happening with guns, what we have to do is get women time back before we can ask them to save our democracy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and then I think con- conversely too with with men, there's always going to be, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a, a political thing, but like them leaning into th- that work that might need to be done, that support, do you feel like they're also hiding behind that concept of, well, I can't go, you know, protest or I can't, allocate money in our budget to donate to, you know, this or that fund, uh, because, you know, I have to save the money for, you know, I have to make the money or, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it could happen that men reuse tropes. They hide behind that toxic masculinity. It's extremely convenient. They have to. They have to, of course. But also, you know, if, if they don't understand the benefits you know, or they haven't been been seen. If they, they they they're not when you treat someone's time like diamonds, you hide the hard things, right? Things like sandwiches just appear. Like we now know, like Thoreau, Emerson, all these people who wrote Walden Pond, wherever the hell you know. I don't read um, sort of white men from the nineteen hundreds, <laughs> but ex- I, I, except for Shakespeare, um, gotcha. I stick to women authors. Who now, might have been a woman. <laughs> we're now learning, like the the reason they were able to sort of sit on the lake and and muse was because their mothers, their wives were bringing them sandwiches, were protecting their time. Making sure they didn't have the plague. We see it in Albert Einstein's biography. Uh Exactly. Einstein's um, first wife was a very high potential physicist who ended up with two kids and lost her career. You know, I even saw it when I went to my toddler transition program, Christy, because you go back to village and I remember thinking, okay, this village is going to save me because at that time I didn't think that my partner could because I was still protecting Seth's time. I never right. thought he could be somebody who would come to the toddler transition day because it was during the work day. Like, God forbid I asked him. So of course it was, I remember this, it was about 10 years ago now, as I was saying, the same time I was losing my direct reports and my job was telling me I had to Imploding. pump in a broom closet. I'm, everyone's saying, well, you just need a village. Get to your preschool. You're going to find the people yeah. that you love. And I remember sitting there with those people and the preschool teacher saying, look around. These are the people who are going to help you in a pinch. They're, you're going to be at their kids' weddings and their bar mitzvahs. You're going to, they're going to be there to support you. And I remember thinking, okay, this is my village. I finally arrived, Christy. I have mm-hmm. a preschool and these are the parents I'm going to be with for a long time. Yeah. And this preschool teacher is saying, you know, these are the people that are going to know you better than anyone's ever known you. And then I look down at my name tag and it says Zach's mom. Oh, no. Zachar- oh. Zachary Rodsky, mother. Oh, God. And so, Christy, I remember thinking, okay, these are the people that are going to know me better than anyone's ever known me. They don't even know my fucking name. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And that's when I realized we're doomed. 
we are we are doomed in overwhelm plus erasure. Mm-hmm. That's where we are as as women right now. We mm-hmm. are being overwhelmed and erased at the same time. And that's when I realized that this is no longer sustainable. We're going to move forward and we're going to move forward in a productive way that um, becomes a love letter to men that invites them into this work with us. Because if they're in this work with us, we will finally value it. My my husband is extremely, I would say, extremely masculine. So my husband, his mom had him at 17, ended up finding <clears throat> a nonviolent stepfather but they raised him very strict. He rebelled, went into the Marines, had a calling after September 11th. Very, very masculine guy, I guess you'd say, but not necessarily toxic. He does have things he's out learning, but he's willing to have conversations. We're going to do you know, the game together and it's going to help strengthen. I love him, by the way. And just so you know, military, oh, you military men <laughs> are my favorite fair players because really? they understand the power of systems. Yes, Absolutely. they do. So That's I right. Will say he, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to say that every Marine is <laughs> willing to have these conversations because right. they call them crayon eaters sometimes. And sometimes, you know, they can be very toxic. But uh, when I met him, I think he was, you know, educating himself. And he knew that he was <laughs> meeting a girl that had had her own career. And, and that enticed him because I was an artist. And there were I, I was an interesting person, right? And what what pisses me off the most about certain men is that, you know, they want you and then you do exactly what they want you to do in the home and then they don't want you anymore because you just can't be everything. Correct. It is Correct. so, it's what, and that's why, you know, they say, oh, feminists are angry because they can't get a man. It's like, oh my God, that's so, I can't wrap my head around that without feeling vengeful. But that's but. called the, I call that in fair play, the permission paradox. Because there was all these men who said to me, I just want to retire my wife. I just want her not to feel like she has pressure and and I can be the provider. And then these women listened and right. they give up their paid work. They're like, yeah, this identity. sounds good. Dec- yeah. <laughs> this sounds good. They put on their kids' initials on their necks, the mom like I did. Uh-huh. And then one day you end up a gray version of yourself sitting in a circle of preschool, you know, mm-hmm. bouncing your kid, playing patty cake on your lap and being like, how the fuck did I get here? Mm-hmm. And so the truth, the permission paradox is don't listen to anybody. You have to understand the life-changing magic, not just of organizing your junk drawer, but of long-term thinking. And when you decide and choose that your unicorn space is going to be the perfection of your children or just raising your children. And that's what your partner wants for you. It's fine to make that life choice. As long as you understand that you still need that unicorn space, you still deserve not to, to drown in all of these cards, the, all of the unpaid labor, because then everything you thought or your partner thought this was going to be this perfect, leave it to beaver family it doesn't work, Christy. I wish I could no. tell you it works. No, I if get somebody that. ends up saying this agreement is for the birds. Yeah, 100%. And so I actually just thought of something. Those of you listening or watching, if you know somebody who's thinking about, you know, they're married or whatever, maybe they're not married, but they're thinking of being with their partner and having children and raising a family, I think Fair Play would be really great to read prior to having children, don't you? Yes, yes. Because yes, some of these really- conversations can be... They can be started before the issues even happen. Started. Started. And that's really the secret formula. If we're getting to the secret formula here of 
Where do we end up? What's the rainbow? We're going dark to go light. The rainbow here, um, and again, I, I really do encourage you, Christy, with your partner, watch the Fair Play documentary. It's okay. It's on everywhere, you know, iTunes, Amazon Prime. It's just a beautiful rainbow of seeing all of these men understand that this benefits them. And I'll just, I'll end with like a, a quick story because okay. it's really, like I said, the secret formula here is boundaries, systems, and communication. That's it. The boundaries is we, we've done... We said it's all time is created equal. Believing your time is diamonds. The system is the ownership mindset of fair play. You can dive into that in the book. It's it's That's the easy part. The self-explanatory mm-hmm. part is when you own a task, you do it from start to finish. And then communication is actually the hard part because people are afraid to have these conversations, Christy, especially yes. if you are, you know, like maybe your husband or I am where we grew up in, you know, bootstrap ourselves, right? Don't need anybody. You're still um, white knuckling so, it. You know what that looks like. Or white you know knuckling how that it. feels. Yep. That's it. So what are we going to stop and tell you what I need? Like, that's just not, it feels too our, familiar. You know, yeah. DNA. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or we're worried we'll be rejected if we ask. And so right. there's so much hurdles. So the boundaries, the systems of communication, the boundaries is hard. It's unlearning. It's what we did today. And so this is a 101. I want to tell people stick with us because, you know, Christy and I will come back. You know, we could do a 201. We could oh my God, I'd love be that. here for you in this journey. I'd love that. We can list, bring some listeners to actually unpack how they're doing it. But boundaries, systems, Absolutely. communication. And the story I want to end on, I think, brings all three together. It's a very small story, Christy, but it's sort Go of, it. it's, I'll call them Richard and Amy. So Richard is sort of like, you know, the old school guy we're talking about now, right? He's sort of mm-hmm. been conditioned under the toxic masculinity box or whatever. And mm-hmm. and Amy is his wife who did hear, you know, I'll re- retire you. And, and they had that type of dynamic. But they decided in the pandemic that it wasn't working for them. They were going to play fair play. Big part of the system is going through all the cards, deciding what to take out, like holiday cards. No one should ever do a holiday card. And what to keep in. And tell stories about why it's important. The why is what we're missing in communication. So they tell stories to each other about the magical beings card. And that is the card we referenced earlier. That's the tooth fairy, lucky leprechaun, Santa. They both had that in their lives. They felt like it was really important Mm -hmm. to continue that magic. Mm -hmm. And so in the game, Richard decides to be the tooth fairy. He says, I'm going to take it now for um, our kids. So he does. They agree that that's one of his cards. Uh, Amy says, okay, I will allow you to hold that card. I'm stepping off. And the first time that he's the tooth fairy, the tooth fairy doesn't come. The daughter wakes up and she's all excited and you know she's upset. And so what they report back to me is what their dynamic would be like before fair play. So before fair play, they said to me, what it would have happened was, Amy would have said, this is why I don't involve you in domestic work or anything with our kids. I can't rely on you for anything. She would have gone always and or always and never. You never help. You're never good enough with her communication style. And Richard told me that he would have blamed Amy for not reminding him mm-hmm. to put the dollar under the pillow. Gotcha. That was their dynamic. Right. Post-fair play, she decides to communicate the way we ask in fair play, which is high cognition, low, low emotion. So she waits mm-hmm. for it. 
She tells him that night, I, I mean, or that day, you know, obviously that was super disappointing, but you know, I'm going to let you carry through your mistake. He owns it. But did she actually pay the money after he, like, did she rectify no. that for the child no. or no. the consequence stood? She just, that's it. She just yeah. says, she said that morning wow, to her child, hard. I don't know what happened to the tooth fairy. And she brought, she talked to her husband when her, her daughter went to school and yeah. said, I will let you carry through this mistake. She did not fix it. Good. So what he does is, this is the best part of the story. He has room now to carry through his mistake. He understood that he owned it because they had yeah. discussed it in advance. So he right. emails toothfairy at gmail.com and says, after his daughter gets home from school and says, you know, what the heck, toothfairy, you know, where, what happened to you? He gets a response, which is the craziest thing of all time. Thank you out there, toothfairy at gmail.com for saving so many families. And the response said something like, you know, due to supply chain issues, you know, teeth are, I'm backlogged on teeth or whatever (laughs) she said. He prints out the email. He reads it to his daughter. And he says, you know, when the tooth fairy comes late because she's backlogged, she brings double the money. And so that's what happened. He, the tooth fairy came that night with double the money. And it costed him and money, too. I love too. that story. I love that. I, it cost him. It cost him. But And now his daughter asks, you know, is the tooth fairy coming on time or is she coming late? Because she sort of wants the extra money. It's so called the accountability interest. Accountability <laughs> interest. But it, it, it really does show me that there's an, another way forward in small But did he report, like did Richard report back... What, what was the change? What incentivized him? Gra- granted, like I do this with my toddler, you know, you have to let them feel their feelings, let them go through that. And also natural consequences is basically the same principle, right? And I have a very hard time with that, by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to yes. fix it. Letting and I love people it. people carry and, through their mistake. And I'm trying. Carry through I'm, your mistake. I'm getting better at it. Honestly, it's a day by day thing. Just like all of this is a day by day thing. And I do think you know, when people <clears throat> see, oh, Christy's talking with Eve today, some angry feminist shit's going to be talking about. It's like, first of yes, all, no one's angry. Yes, no, no one's raising their voice. No one's, you know, we're violating laughing. human we're laughing. rights over here. Yes. We're laughing. We're, we're talking, more importantly, and we're problem solving. And then there's a system that already exists. And we're talking about applying that to a system because so many times people want to be like, well, you know, your system, I'm sure that you've got criticisms on your book like lean in got a, a, a lot of criticism and i'm i'm curious i mean how do you dispel criticisms when they're like well the, you know this is a book that's written by you and and like this doesn't apply do you feel as though you've you've kind of covered that in the book in the documentary yeah i mean look i would say you know the main criticism of the book is people say well where is the card for paid work so it's a lot of men saying to me, well, there's a hundred cards here of unpaid labor, but where's your card for paid labor? Like for him? And what I say for is- For them? Yes. And mm-hmm. what I say is, look, look, that is why this is not 50-50. Right. That is why this is not a system of 50-50. This is a system of ownership. Regardless of whether you work for pay, yes, it may not. you may not hold 50 cards of the hundred if you're a person who is the one who's the primary breadwinner. Whether it's you know whatever gender, however, that is exactly what I address in the book, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is that this accounts for flexibility. Mm-hmm. Even if you hold one card, like the Tooth Fairy card, what I saw in that relationship, they they will never go back. Right, Richard will never go back. And what he does say to me is that the experience 
of failing because that was what he was so worried about, Christy. Why fair play is a love letter to men is because they didn't ever say to me, I hate my family. I don't want to help. Right. It was when I help, I do everything wrong ah. and I don't know my role. Mm. And so that was the number one answer for men when, when I asked them why they don't do more. And, and so you don't, th- and you don't Richard think that was so that- afraid to fail Amy. Yeah, I see. And he did, he did yeah. fail her right. and his child in that tooth fairy example but he was able to carry through his mistake. That's what it was. The space. The, the space, right, exactly, of learning and processing. That space that we were talking about earlier, too, about how women need that space to process. And we don't give exactly. the gift of the space exactly. to the men. I got it. It's, it's a human thing. It's not a, it's not a male-female right. thing. It's, it's everybody getting that space to process stuff. And we kind of take that away from them. That's really great. But last point. Too, and I'm just curious, and this is me just selfishly asking. The other thing that I see no. a lot online from similar people who, you know, love fair play and talk a lot about those principles is this concept of weaponized incompetence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how many times would you say in the relationships that you investigated and over the last 11 years, how many men are actually malicious with their time? And if, if it is a combination, what exactly is that? <laughs> and how do we deal with that? Weaponized incompetence is a really interesting concept because what I found is that this goes back to the assumptions versus structured decision-making. Mm-hmm. When men sit down to agree to hold cards, I do not see them trying to mess them up so that they won't have to hold them again. Gotcha. Um, I, what I see is weaponized incompetence has more to do in my mind, Christy, with what was happening in my home. I tell a story in the documentary about a drunk man's jacket. I tell it in the book too, that was sitting on my lawn when I went away for a work, work trip. Seth texted me, there's a broken bottle, beer bottle and jacket on our lawn. We had a toddler. I put it out of my head, worked 15 days in Seattle come home, the jacket and beer bottle are still there on the lawn. And Christy, as I like to say, you know, I gave Seth at first the benefit of the doubt because I figured maybe he was dead. But when I found out he wasn't dead, he was happily alive and told me he had four hours after his long day to decompress and watch SportsCenter and work out. But not enough time, you know, to pick up a jacket and beer bottle he found on our lawn 16 hours earlier. Mm-hmm. You could call that weaponized incompetence, but what Seth now says that he says in the documentary so beautifully is that he genuinely, genuinely believed it was someone else's job to pick up that jacket wow. and beer bottle. Okay. And, We've got and our work cut out is, for us. <laughs> that's got... it, right? That's the unlearning. Yeah. They it need help. It took us a long time to get there. They need help. But it I'm wasn't his job. Because his time is diamonds, someone else has always been around him to pick up that slack. That's the metaphor here. Yeah. We, we, as a society, we've been picking up drunk guys' jackets and beer bottles around men since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. We have to stop. And let me tell you, Eve, diamonds are literally made of sand. Yes, yes, they're made of sand. There oh could God, be no that, refined diamond oh unless gosh, yes, it was from pressurized sand. 
sand. So on that note, Eve, I want to thank you so yeah. much for your time, your energy, your thoughts, you. Let's do a practical 2.0. Let's do one. I would freak out. we can bring in I would some love of your that. listeners. Yes. And we can answer their questions like NPR style. Um, Are you hearing this? vulnerable people okay on how the system goes yes let's do let's do a practical one and it can be people who have different versions right of domestic applications and and that way we can exactly we, can we want really lgbtqia couples we want roommates we want um yeah, roommates, women who are the cool. breadwinners any any single yeah. and any we, we've done every family structure We've addressed every family structure in Fair Play, so we'd love to hear your stories. Oh, I'm excited. I may have to snag my my husband, too, if he'll do it. He's He can Yes, do it. He, yes, please. All right. I would all love right. to have him well, come on. Really excited about Fair Play's documentary. I'm going to watch it. It's it's going to be out, right, this this week? Yes, this, this week, July 8th. Yes. Great, great. So please go watch that. And if you haven't added Fair Play to your library, do so now. And a unicorn space I'm going to also pick up. So buy all the things that have Eve's name on it right now. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Christy. <laughs> thank you. And keep, keep your vulnerable listeners close because it like will. I said, this unicorn space of curiosity, connection with others and completion, meaning that even if an episode isn't perfect, you put it out into the world. That's, that's the model hmm. that, that you're modeling for other, other women. Okay. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your for your vulnerability. My one of my favorite words. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Eve. Vulnerable is hosted by me, Christy Carlson Romano, produced by Elizabeth Joy Windham and executive produced by Brendan Rooney. Our sound engineer and editor is Elizabeth Joy Windham, and our video editor is Eduardo Gamba. Follow Vulnerable wherever you listen to podcasts so you can join me every week for a vulnerable conversation. And be sure to follow Vulnerable on Instagram and TikTok at The Vulnerable Podcast. And make sure to tune in to my YouTube to watch the video version. 